aspects that, of the shir today uh, in terms of sponsorship, dedication, and celebration. Um, the shir and the food will be arriving very soon. Um, a time of Shabbos, Cholent, Kugel, and of course, what's more Jewish than sushi today? I can't think of anything. You know, the uh, <laughs> that's already oh, it's already passe. I think sushi has become sushi has become uh, the 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 choice for most Jewish people's delicacy for uh, snacks. So that's going to be coming a uh, time of Shabbos, and we want to welcome a new sponsor, um, Lishi Goldberg. Who is the proprietor of Pesek's Couldn't miss this. Premier wow. <laughs> takeout and catering establishment, the main ingredient that you can see up here in your email, how to click. And they, they, they have been delivering. They're going to be delivering, and they have. Today, huh? Yes, hopefully. For, the, for, the, for this last month, they've been delivering fresh and delicious sandwiches, takeout. And as we said, the aforementioned sushi. So uh, I spoke to Moshe yesterday in a very nice conversation. And um, he's dedicated, he's sponsoring and bringing oh, the food. Give him the promo. Give him the promo. I <laughs> thought this is what it was. I guess I. He's uh, live. He's live. Yes, I am. Yes, I thought that's what this was. In loving memory of his father, uh, Kalman Naftali Ben Yaakov. I asked uh, Maishi a little bit about his father. And he told me a very interesting thing. His father was. Um, had uh, come out, his father's family uh, had come over from Europe to Newfoundland, which is, of course, uh, the easternmost island province of of what we call North America. And uh, it really got me thinking because you know my wife's from Vancouver, which is really on the other side of Canada. But the idea of, of Jewish life as it migrated from Europe, uh, as it found new roots here, and uh, was able to be nourished and, and sustained and I thought uh, when that was running in my head I, 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 these psukim really suggested themselves uh, Lili Nishmas Kalman uh, uh, Naftali Goldberg the first one is a Pasuk in Yeshaya Karav Tzidki that my tzedek is close the, the righteousness of God is on its way Yotza Yishi but it's already happened the Yeshua has already expanded out Uzroyai Amim Yishpoitu my my outstretched arm is going to judge those nations. A, a lie towards me, Iim Yikavu. Towards me, these islands, and that got me thinking about Newfoundland. These islands, like where Jews were, like on an island, like this this province, you know, in St. John's, the Newfoundland that had. You know, the St. John's Hebrew congregation was created in 1909. Jews came there and, you know, they had, you know, 200, you know, they were able to take it up to 300 people eventually. But these were a place that gave Jews a miklot, the islands, these islands where people yikavu, where they waited, where they had hope for God. It's interesting, the Malbum, you know, we talk about how tikva all the time as the Israeli national anthem. The Malbum says, what does tikva mean? As you can see here, I have it there on, on, on the board. Tikva means, even if you didn't get a haftacha, you hope. In other words, to be, to be miachel for something, yud ches lamid, is you're waiting for something that you know. Somebody watch the, when they start calling, because that means the, uh, food's going to be here downstairs. So they're waiting for uh, something that's, you know the time has been inscribed, that's the miachel, that's your waiting. But tikva, hope, is even if you haven't been given a promise of when, but you have an idea from your understanding that it's going to happen. 
And, and if people who are in those islands in Newfoundland and other places throughout the world waiting it out, the terrible things that were going on in Europe, pogroms and other persecutions. So I thought that was a very appropriate posik. A lie, God understood that, that those in those islands where Jews were, people were hoping uh, for God's salvation. Velzroi, and then you have the next word, they were heavy because they knew about the Nevuas, that they were waiting for the power of God. So that's Kalman. And Natali, <coughs> is again, I thought it had a, a, an element of, of the refugees from Europe. Nafshi bekapi tomid. That's the way it was. Just like you keep in your hand, like if you, you I got it here, right? You, you don't want anybody searching, you have it in your hand, something that you can always have and you can escape with. That's the way David HaMelech felt often when he was in persecution. His nefesh was in his in his palm. But I didn't forget Torah and what that meant. And again, the incredible thing of building Torah communities in all those places throughout North America and, and, and realizing that, Baruch Hashem, we found the Miklat here. So uh, I it should be a schus, uh, Goldberg for Moshe Goldberg for for you. And again, as we say, as, as I wrote your letter earlier, uh, that you should be Matsuyach here and, and this effort to connect, uh, to give us quality kosher stuff here. And it should only be Matsliach. I also uh, promised last night, I was in uh, Robert Wood Johnson uh, in, uh, I guess it's New Brunswick. I think that's the city it is. I know it's one of the Brunswicks. I think it's in New Brunswick at the ICU. And um, there's a, a boy there who's not even, he's just reaching his 25th birthday. And uh, such an accomplished, wonderful young man that was involved in a, a traffic accident uh, a little bit over a week ago on the Garden State Parkway, um, which put him in a, in that ICU. Um, I was there, uh, he needs our tefillahs. Uh, I was there yesterday and, um, he was talking to his, his brother was talking to him and telling him about all the tefillahs that are happening throughout the world in Lander College, um, in Eretz Yisrael, in Reshit, uh, in the yeshiva where he was. Um, he's a young fellow, uh, Mendy Eisenberg. And as I wrote here, Tsurba Midarabonon, really a, a sharp, uh, Talmud Chochum, <coughs> who's really very inventive and creative. Noyam Mizamer, he's a beautiful voice. They, uh, unprecedentedly took him as the, one of the Balei Tvila, and Yom Naroyim and Elizabeth. He has a beautiful, beautiful singing voice. Um, and a really understanding conception of how to say the words and how to put the nigun in properly. He's a Moira, he's a, he's a, he's a role model in Hask for so many years, beloved by so many people in Hask, uh, and a Malamed, a teacher in Ramaz, where he's, uh, he's done such innovative, wonderful things with his students. Av Mosur, a father who's so committed, he has a one-year-old, um, boy, David Zvi, who, um, we, we've been babysitting a lot and getting a lot of nachas from as well. He's been, in, cause he is, he's my tenant in my, in my basement. And, uh, we have been, uh, having the sluice of helping take care of, helping him in this job of taking care of his son. Um, uh, one year old. Baal Machabit Ishto Migufo. This is based on the Rambam's Loshan and Hilchus, um, Ishus. He really, he and his wife, Shira, who live with us in the basement there, not with us, but live in our house, but she's such a wonderful wife to him, and he loves her so much. 
Yosem Migufo, many times I, when his wife, uh, he didn't have a key, so I'm out to the house, and his wife had locked the door, and he didn't want to wake her up. I saw him sitting on the on the steps, just waiting there, waiting for her to wake up, uh, waiting for her to, because he didn't want to didn't want to disturb her. Mamash bring Machaber Ishta Yosem Migufo, Menachem Mendel Shlomo Ben Chaya Rochel. So he should have a foolish way. I should say I didn't put it on here, but if you go to um, if you Google his name and, and you go to um, I believe the the Elizabeth JC site, you'll see that there's like something like a GoFundMe page or something like that. I don't know exactly how, but there is a special funding page for him. Um, you know, as I said, a young couple with a child and. Um, Something like this has occurred. It's obviously, you know, we hope for Yeshua's very, very soon, and I and we have very great confidence they will be there. All the schuyos that he has, named after the Lubavitcher Rebbe and Shlomo Karabach, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, and Shlomo Karabach. He has a lot of schuyos and schuyot in the name. But if you do, uh, please, if you feel like contri- contributing. Just watch here to see when they call. Contributing to something uh, worthwhile. Uh, this is a young couple, wonderful couple who um, could use our help. And Mirza um, Hashem, we're going to see Rafuas and Shuas from him. And celebrating the newest addition to the Kivilevich and Margoli's family. Some of you might have noticed I, I, I put out uh, a very modest uh, 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 trays uh, last week. But uh, we have a name. A name has been uh, given. She was a premature uh, a month early, so I guess the name hadn't consolidated. But considering the great medical science that was put to use in Hadassah and what they were able to do, making that very difficult call, deciding to, um, to, to bring her out into the world at that time, uh, my son and daughter-in-law felt that the obvious name was Hodaya which is, of course, to praise God, and very common, very popular name now in Eretz Yisrael, Hodaya Chana. And um, Chana is uh, after uh, my daughter-in-law, Jessie, Shira's, uh, Shira, known as Jessie, her, um, her grandmother, who passed away a couple of years ago. Um, it was um, interesting that when I talked to her, I had the schuss to speak with her at the engagement party. Very, very wonderful woman. She was married to a, a Moroccan, Ben Sidon, but she was Lithuanian-Polish. She was really Eastern European more. And uh, she told me, yo, my maiden, her maiden name was Kivi. Her maiden name was Kivi. So it seemed to me that it could be we had found uh, a lost relative. I know she had, was a wonderful, wonderful woman who had also... Uh, survived and, and, and was able to really meld her beautiful family together. So that's Hodaya Chana, and the Pesukim I picked for my new granddaughter, and those of you that want to see pictures, you can wait till after this year. Um, but as I said, they're uh, born in Yerushalayim, and I think it's, what's this year? Tough, what is it again? Tough Shinpei. So Tia Pedus Seinu or Pedus Nafshenu. The Pesuk for Hodaya that the Rabbonit Moshe Rabbeinu says uh, in the name of God, God has everything in Shemayim and beyond Shemayim and the Malochim, the earth and everything in it. Discover it. Hey, and here it is. It's all taught the Rabbonit Shalom. Of course, the very next Pesach says, but through all that, all the universe and Malochim and everything, God shows us the Zer Yisrael. So this should be for Hodaya, a sense of how incredible the world, the planet is that God created, but realizing how special we are, or how special our place in this planet is. Thank you. And Chana, 
is, uh, although some of you will, who know this Pasuk from the Haftorah, this is actually what um, Devorah uh, sang about uh, the mother of Sisra. Yeah. Uh, her, her, the chokma of her, of her agents, of the people, of her officers, of, the, of her princesses, they answered her and explained things to her. But Afi, but she spoke to herself as well. So I'm taking a little bit out of context, but I hope for little Hodaya and of course Hodaya Chana that she will listen to the people around her. Chachamot. But she'll have her own thing to say as well. That when she hears from the people around her wisdom and understanding and knowledge of life and Torah, but she'll also, she just won't be a receptacle. Afi. She'll be able to speak back to herself. She'll be able to take all that wisdom and love and understanding and, and life energies that her family's going to give her and hopefully her grandparents are going to have a lot to say about that. But she'll be able to respond back not in, in, in a way that she can actually speak and articulate to herself. So Mirza Hashem is thank again for the Mazov. Should Mirza Hashem only celebrate great things. Based on last week, I felt that I really... You know, so many, you know, there weren't that many, but um, I'm going to tip of the hat to our good friend, uh, Willie Rapfogel, who, when I told him about this idea I had about brothers, he said, oh, the Salvatric brothers, right? The Rav Aaron and Rav Yosheber Salvatric. So they thought, oh, that's, that, that would be a perfect uh, description of brothers who, uh, in a way, as we said, uh, didn't, they, they weren't necessarily like the Rami Bar Yechesko in Yehuda of last week. Keep on watching here because the food's on its way. But they are they're brothers that were very different and yet shared a commonality and a love that I think was it's, it's very important. And I think also if you really think about it, although I am uh, not from, you know, I'm not going to call myself a great expert in, in, in the Salvatrican, Salvatrican uh, history and lore, I have a little bit of a connection to it. I have given Shiram about it. And there's a lot out there. These are especially Rav Yosheber Salvechik. He's one well, of the what, most... What time period were they So both of them were born in the 20th century. One of them was born in 1903. Right. That was the Rav Yosheber of Boston. And his younger brother was born in 1917. So there was like a 14-year gap between them. Oh. And, and, and you might have heard again of, 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 of Rav Yosheber, of Rav Aaron, Rav Aaron Salvechik. I was Zoha to see both of them. And I had a number of conversations with Ravar and Salvatrix Atzal. And uh, it, it definitely made one of the deepest impressions. I mean, again, I've been around the block. You know, I, 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 I was Zoha to hear from Rechaim Shalevitz and, and, and other uh, Gedola Yisrael, really. Yeah, so that's going to be. So if somebody can take this and bring the, and, and bring, get the stuff from downstairs. Um, hello? 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 Hi. Hello? Yes, I'm right here. Okay, I have I have somebody coming down to get the stuff right now, okay? Chaim, take my phone and go downstairs. Chaim, his name is. Yeah, stay on the phone. Do you need more than one person? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, and... Ninth, again, these were, you can imagine, they both lived well into the 20th century, and it's been a, obviously a century of Ohivo. So their father was Rav Moshe Salavechik. He was famous too. And Rav Moshe was famous as well. He, and, and he was, I actually, 
going to go backwards, perhaps, and speak about his, him and his old, and him and his younger brother, known as the Briskarov, um, Rabbi Yitzchak Zev, who was so, in, who was Revelful. Was one brother bigger than the other? Okay, so this is a very interesting question. Um, Rav Moshe and 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 and, and the Briskarov. I'm going to table uh, Andrew's question about that for, for a minute because that's an interesting point. Who was bigger between those two? And bigger is again, but I, these two, there's no question about it that Rav Aaron always mentioned and said how incredible the incredible mind his brother had. That his brother was a mind that it's going to take perhaps years or centuries to appreciate of how great he was. And and of course. You don't need Rav Aaron to say it. Everybody who is who is learning Torah is in, 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 in this day and age, in some way, has either heard or been affected by uh, the Talmudic scholarship of of Rav Yosheber Salvechik. Um, and um, again, uh, there, Rav Aaron admitted that the super genius of the family was his brother. Was the older was his older brother? However, what's interesting is is that I heard this last night as well from a Talmud of Rav Aram that when Rav Yashabir receives questions, it's interesting that there isn't a safer of piske alocha from Yashabir Salvechik. If you read what Rav Herschel Schechter has written the last couple of years, you will see a number of heroes that that he's told Rav Schechter. Rav Schechter has put it in. The, the Sefer Nefesh Arav, Panini Arav, and, 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 and other books about Rav Salvechik. But Rav Salvechik was not known, although he was the chief rabbi of Boston, and questions were brought to him in Yeshiva University. He wasn't known as a Pesach. He didn't have uh, a, 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 a... In fact, he was probably Miyore Hiro. He was one of the people who didn't pass. And when he had difficult questions... He would actually refer them to his younger brother. He referred. He referred. We're okay. Uh, we're okay. Uh, we don't, okay. You don't know. Okay. All right. Right. So we actually referred things to his younger brother. So as I was saying last week, sometimes you have, uh, uh, you know, you have one brother that's a standout in one area, and I think Rev Aaron uh, became an incredible standout in Psak in, in a very unusual, original way. Um, Paskening, in many ways, not so much from the the, the complete um, orva of the of, of the Shulchan Aruch, like we mentioned last week. Last week we talked about the the masterpiece of of the Shari Tshuva and how the Yad Ephraim uh, aided and abetted creating a Shulchan Aruch that would allow a Pesik to to be able to deal with the most modern questions, having the Tshuvas in front of them. Rav Aaron dealt with modern questions, but from the Gemara itself developing mostly out of the Rishonim. Um, he did not in his Psach HaLocha like Chocham Avadia and others or even Rav Nisan Karelitz that we've spoken about, collect the opinions of the Achronim. One or two he was very much an original posek out of the out of the Rishonim themselves. In fact, I would say it a little bit differently. He would, he would his Pisgah HaLocha were based on his analysis of the Gemara and the Rishonim and then he would, with, with, with tremendous shoulders, tremendous plates, and fearlessly, Pask and Shilas, that, 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 were, that, that, that were all, were, men, were, were quite important. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, okay, thanks, Chaim. All right. 
So, again, so this is our stuff. Somebody, again, you guys can go and uh, the cups are there. Leave me some stuff down this week. It's all right. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be so. The guys can go ahead and do it again. We'll do can it. make a plate for you right now? Would you, you, you know what? Again, let's, uh, again, so okay. people enjoy themselves and, and see what there is. Okay. Um, so I want to, again, it's, 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 there were psalm that I heard about. Uh, I was uh, at a chasna last night for a couple of minutes, and I was talking to one of our friends, Talmidim, and he was telling me that there was a, a question about um, the, the borders of Eretz Yisrael, a question that it came up about uh, where was the um, uh, had Eretz Yisrael changed from the from the times of Tanakh and Talmudic times through. The ex- through what had occurred was that there was actually the 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 beach erosion and others things that actually created more landmass than there had been previously. In other words, what used to be Eretz Yisrael, what used to be the end of Eretz Yisrael, which had been the ocean, had now become land because the the, the size of the ocean had become smaller. Mediterranean Ocean becomes smaller. So now the question is, is that land that used to be ocean, is, 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 that, is, right, is that Eretz Yisrael? Does that have Kedushas Eretz Yisrael or not? In other words, is that leaving, is that called leaving that Eretz Yisrael? From that time period to now? Right. This is, this is what, this is what, this is what the, I, I heard, again, it has to be developed. But these were very fascinating questions about if, if Eretz Yisrael is not physically the exact same, ge- the exact same geographic spot that it was, okay. So the the place that he's standing was ocean, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. Now it's sand. Now it's somehow so right because right? so now that the ocean has receded and the sand bed has risen up, it's attached. So, but beforehand, that would be considered the ocean. That would be considered the that wouldn't be considered oh, the, oh, right. Oh, 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 doesn't the land sort of control its border ocean? Well, this is the, so. This was a question that Rav Aaron Salvechik invent came up with an incredibly inventive interpretation yeah. Yeah, that he invented based on the Gemara and yeah, in the terms story. of the borders of Eretz Yisrael. And um, so, what did he say? He said, based on again, I didn't see the Chiddush inside. He he based it on the Gemara that he says there's there's a din of he says whatever the he says wherever the chof is wherever the the, the beach yeah. ends that's still yes. that has a shame of Eretz Yisrael yeah, no matter what yeah. So these were issues that 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 Rav Aaron dealt with. There was also when I was even before I ever came to Chicago and had the schus to speak to Rav Aaron, I saw an article that he wrote. Uh, in the in the late '60s, um, that was one of the first rabbinic um, examinations of drug use. There was a um, a very uh, a person from a very hush of a family, uh, very prestigious. And Rav Aaron actually told me who the family was when I spoke with him. A very prestigious family. They'd given a lot of tzedakah, and one of the children um, was part, or had at least been connected to what had been. Uh, the drug culture. And Rav Aaron did a, one of the first explorations of the problems of using addictive drugs, uh, al And you can find it in some of the, uh, in the, it's an article I believe in, again, I, I didn't look it up and I'm sorry, but I think it was in the 1969 uh, edition of Tradition. I think you can find it there. Um, 
so he was really, uh, uh, and, and, and in many ways, an incredible fighter as well. Um, uh, you know, Chicago was where I knew him from, and he fought. Uh, and his brother, of course, was 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 was, was in a way uh, a, a Baal Hashkafu who gave a, a sense of direction, whereas his younger brother really fought was a kanoi for halacha in ways that Rav Yashaber I don't think was. Um, he fought, uh, uh, there was, a, again, a tshuva, which I uh, didn't have room in the email to send you because it was already uh, a large uh, attachment, but there was a tshuva where he was, um, um, there was a, a mikvah, a, a public mikvah in Chicago that was um, funded by the whole community, the Federation helped pay for it, and the Federation included uh, a number of, uh, of conservative synagogues as well. And the question was about you know, the using using of that mikvah for conservative other garrison. Okay, all right. So, so uh, you know, yeah. if you don't mind, some kugel is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah kugel, thanks. And some kugel chillin' and sushi, that's good. Listen, what else can you, what else did you want? Um, yeah, yeah. We do have some schnapps in the other room. So, so Rav Aaron was, uh, in that way, uh, was a loichem, really against, um, you know. Rav Yoshebeer, in his own right, of course, fought very strongly against any, um, uh, sort of what he, what, what he, you know, the secularization, the Christianization of, uh, of Jewish concepts. That's what Rav, his older brother was. Rav Aaron really fought, and, and you know, without any sort of uh, uh, kowtowing to the powers that be, uh, what he felt was emes api aloha. Um, and to him it was clear that, you know, the mikvah should not be a place, you know, mikvah should not be a place that has uh, conversions that weren't api aloha. Um, I can send you the tshuva about it. It's a very interesting one. Uh, he also pushed something that was almost unheard of in, in the uh, in the 60s, which was that the that the the bakeries throughout Chicago should only uh, provide yoshan, should only provide during the period before Pesach, should only provide yoshan breads. And, and as you know, there's a halacha that you're not able to use the, the wheat and grains from, uh, from, from any of the five grains that are growing until after Pesach. The winter wheat and other things are considered uh, halachically verboten, until the uh, second day of Pesach. Um, we call that Yoshan. Um, so therefore, any flour that would be used had to be flour that grew from the pre, the flour that was, that was grew from wheat and other grains that were raised from the previous year. It wasn't so easy to obtain that type of flour. Um, and Rav Aaron and his Talmidim pushed for Today in, in all uh, in New York, it's almost taken for granted. But in the Midwest, it was unheard of, um, and there were many many kulas that were uh, invoked. Kulas from 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 the Achronim that said that in Chutzlart you don't have to worry about yoshan, you don't have to worry about wheat that that that, that right because you can you can even take the wheat that that had not that had been growing that winter, even beforehand. Um, and the famous Chuvas, the famous uh, Psak of the Bach, um, the Balshemtev actually said that this was a Psak that helped save so many communities that they were able to, to use the flour and not wait. 
Um, Again, that was in places where the, the, the wheat didn't develop because, because, of, because of, the cold, of the frigid climate. Rev. Aaron felt that in America, despite the extra cost, uh, uh, an orthodox bakery needs to be makbid on Yashon because that's it, most, there's one sheet that allows it, but most Rishonim say that it's, it's like eating treif. To eat chodosh, to eat stuff that is not yet mutter, is, 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 is Yechayev Makais. It's, it's a lav. It's a lav in the Torah. It's like eating chazer. So this was something that Rav Aaron Salvechik, should be yogin on us, was, he pushed for. He pushed for a certain, right, um, he had certain shitas in, in, in Erevin, uh, that were based in halacha, uh, of the Rishonim, of what sort of Rishus HaRabim you could allow an Erev to, to, to happen with. And, um, he stood firm in his, in his, in, in his understanding of the of Rov Rishonim, and as the Chafetz Chaim himself says, not to allow Erevin in certain in certain metropolitan areas. Again, despite the fact that there had been a history of allowing this in Europe and other places, Rav Aaron, based on his knowledge of the Rishonim and the way he learned things, was a very strong fighter, and this occurred even. In his, in his, in, in, as, as, towards the, his, his years, his last couple of years in Chicago, when uh, unfortunately he suffered a stroke, I, I saw him uh, after that period. I think I saw him before the stroke and afterwards. And it was very, very difficult for him to, to, to manage. He was in terrible pain. His whole left side of his body had been paralyzed, but he still fought despite it all. That was Salvation of Yosher Bear's younger brother. A person of incredible fortitude, incredible strength, incredible love for his brother. So I, I, I say that sort of, sort of the end of the story, the Chicago part of the story. But it really starts much earlier. And um, that's like the next chapter. It really starts, really starts much earlier. And I, I want to share with you... Um, a little bit of the history here. So we're going to start with something that I the the is, and I want to thank Mark for allowing it to go into a PDF. Uh, this is a uh, you'll see it's sort of self sort of yeah, yeah they might come after you. Okay, here we go. Well, listen, you were doing it solo, <laughs> but you know, so we're part of the vase. Okay, um, if you take a look here on the board. Uh, this is from a safer that is not yet uh, available in the in the repositories of books. Um, it's the Geras Goyen Rabbi Yosef Doiv Salvechik. And if you take a look at this letter, this letter, the date of the letter is 1927, Tuprish Pei Zion. Rav was a little boy then. He was 10 years old. The letter was sent to Berlin. Berlin was where his uh, 23, 24-year-old brother had gone, Rabbi Yosheber. He had gone to Berlin, and he spent seven years in Berlin. And in Berlin is where uh, he really began his expe- incredible uh, philosophic journey, uh, eventually writing his doctoral thesis on the, uh, the Neo-Kantian philosophy of Herman Cohen, um, he had, uh, of course, mastered languages, and um, he was able to uh, become very good friends there in Berlin with uh, the young Lubavitcher Rebbe, Menachem and others who were studying in Berlin. Um, 
He, uh, um, Rav Hutner was also there uh, for a, 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 a decent amount of time. So can you imagine what was going on there in the in the late twenties and early thirties? Uh, what? All-star team. It was an all-star team. And they were not in the yeshivas. They, they were the ones that were going to come later to create some of the greatest uh, dynasties in learning and, and then, but they were actually in the places where they were going to school. They were going to college. They were actually uh, there for their degrees. Baba Cherebi, of course, got his degree there, I think, in engineering. And um, uh, there was, it wasn't that there weren't Rabbonim there. One of the great rabbonim uh, in Berlin, of course, was uh, was Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, who was the head of the Hildesheimer Seminary, um, and it was there that Rabbi Yeshiver also, uh, um, one of the teachers in the, in the seminary, was considered one of the Rabbi Yeshiver held he was one of the greatest uh, minds of the 20th century, and this was coming from Rabbi Yeshiver was Rabbi Chaim Heller, uh, the author of Chikri Alocho. So this was this was a, a very uh, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, Berlin is sort of such a strange place in terms of it was such a powerful city, a city that was the seat of of power of Germany and had such a, a, a storied uh, Torah tradition. You know, they say over from um, that uh, there was one of the great uh, rebbes, Rabunim Apashischa who was uh, very scholarly, it was, it was a person who knew a lot about the scholarly world on his own, was once uh, in Berlin. And there was a, a chassid of his who happened to have business in Berlin who, uh, who found him there, and he said, you're here? He says, I've been here. I said, how long have you been here? He says, I've been here a couple of days. You're, one of the, you're such a Reb and a Tzaddik, and people don't know that you're here. You're staying by yourself. I'm going to get all the other people in the community to come, and we'll have a tish. If I bring it, we'll have something. We'll... So he said, how could it be that nobody knew you were here? He said, well, um, take a look at what it says by Stoim. You know, by Stoim it says that... Um, you know, Avram Avinu asks, you know, Ulai Hamishim Tzadikim, are there 15 Tzadikim in the city? Uh, Avram doesn't know? He says, you know, he says, when you have a, a stone like city, you don't know if there's a Tzadik there or not. <laughs> he said, this is what this is. This is Berlin, you know? So, but despite the fact that it was, there were people that we would probably call Tzadikim that were there, the overwhelming mindset there was a very, um, you know, it was not a religious town. And um, the fact that Rav Salvechik grew so much there and was able to actually um, uh, develop something which his son later took to the nth degree, which is a certain uh, sense of scholarship as well, besides scholarship in the sense of manuscripts and other things like that. He, his father and, and, and family, that was not what they were into. But in Berlin... Uh, his uncle and others really initiated uh, the the older Salvechik boy into what the, what you know sort of what Jewish scholarship had been like, looking at all different sources and manuscripts and things like that. So he actually in Berlin not only gained secular knowledge and secular appreciation and a philosophic ability to 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 formulate and think and and and, and be considered uh, great in that area. But also, he was able to expand his his rabbinic scope as well. Uh, it didn't hurt that he was able to escape the Polish army as well. Being a student in Berlin, there was no way they could they could, he was able to get draft deferral. Um, 
But so Berlin is a very crucial place for, for, for the young uh, Soloveitchik, for Yoshever Soloveitchik. And here's his 10-year-old brother writing him a letter. Um, so it starts with Aramba. Take a look here. Let me actually make it a little bit bigger. Is that better? Um, let me go down. So it's a good question. Where was his father? So in 19, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't I, this is the part I left out. Um, in, uh, in 1920, um, his father, Ramesha we'll talk more about maybe next week. Um, but Ramesha uh, had realized that there was not much of a future in the city of Chaslovich where he had been the Rov. Chaslovich was a small city, but it was mostly populated in the Jewish ways by Lubavitcher Chassidim. Um, there, I heard from Rabbi Yosheber himself that it was interesting that even though it was a city of Lubavitcher Chassidim, the Rav of Chaslovich was always, had been for close to uh, 150 years, had always been a Lithuanian, a Litvish Rav, a Misnagid Litvish Rav, someone that was connected to the Vilna Gaon. And the reason was, was because Chaslovich was a city that was on the path of where um, um, the the French uh, soldiers uh, during the uh, Napoleonic Wars had been searching for someone they considered a, um, a troublemaker and a spy. And that was, of course, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, of Shneur Zalman Liadi, who was pushing his chassidim to fight against uh, the French influence. He felt that it'd be better to stay under the Tsar with all the persecution rather than to open up the country to the freedoms and um, of, of France. Well, the, the 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 informants knew that these type of speeches and statements were being said, and Obama Rebbe was then forced to flee. And somehow, Chaslovich, the city, became where he escaped to. He came to the roof of the city. He was actually from sort of like a, a, an admirer and someone from the Vilna Gaon school. Uh, he had, I don't know if he had been one of the people to sign the Cheyrim against the Chassidim, but the Rav of Chaslovich uh, hid the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The French, when the French army came in there uh, to the city, uh, they searched... This is the very first Lubavitcher Rebbe, the very first one, Rav Shneur Zalman of Liyati. When they, when the, when the French came searching in the town for this spy, for this criminal, um, they came to the rabbi. The rabbi said, "You think I hid them? We hate them more than you." They said, "Take a look." He says, "Hasidim." He says, "We don't even consider them Jews." We, we, we say you have to distance them from, from our people. You ask your, ask your informants, they'll tell you. There's no way I would, I, I, there's no way I would ever hide such a person. I'd give them to you right away. So the general, the, the general, the colonel, whoever he was, was very convinced. And that, of course, saved the Babach Rebbe's life. And from that time on, the Chassidim felt, who, who actually felt that this was a great place to be, a place where the Rebbe was saved, came to Chasovich, but they insisted that the, that the Rav of the city be someone who who was like that, someone who had been from the Goins Geza, someone who wasn't a Chassid, someone who clearly wasn't. Now, of through marriage, they had the same last name, but it's another story how they got that Feinstein name of Rav Moshe Feinstein. So, in other words, Rav Moshe Feinstein 
and Rav Moshe Salavechik's wife were first cousins. Wow. Which meant that Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Shabir Salavechik, you do the gene to Rav Yashabir, was... A, was what? Cousin once removed. Was a first cousin once removed. And they were extremely close as well. In America, what? They were very, very close and, and uh, extremely. Um, so, Rav Moshe was the Ravan Chaslovich, but as the communists and others started pushing in, it became impossible to stay in Chaslovich. And um, at that time, Poland, Warsaw, suggested itself as a place for Rav Moshe Salvechik to go. But he didn't just go to Warsaw. He went to a school, a yeshiva, sort of like a proto-YU yeshiva, a yeshiva that had secular studies, a yeshiva in Warsaw, which was full of chassidim and agudistim. It was called Tachkomoni. <laughs> it wasn't called Surah Papadisa or, you know, Der Yitzchok or Slabot. This was his, the name itself was sort of a modern Israeli type name. It was actually funded by uh, uh, the Mizrahi. It was called Yeshivas Tachkomoni. And the purpose of the yeshiva was that they should have half a day of learning and half a day of secular studies and actually eventually having some sort of degree. So Rav Moshe Salvechik was the Rosh Hashiva uh, and the, the head of the Talmud department, but really the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshivas Tachkomoni in Warsaw. And um, so this is where the young Aaron stayed with his father, and they wrote a letter to Berlin. So now yeah, that's the background. So, um, by the way, if you look in um, biographies of the Briskerov and others, they'll say that Rav Moshe Salvechik was the... Do I have it here? Do I have that big bag? Right here? The big one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just to tell you what it means uh, in terms of uh, history, here is the... Um, this is a history of the Briskarov, a Ravmi Brisk. This was Moshe Salvechik's younger brother. So, of course, you can't have a history book which doesn't explain a little bit about the family. So I'm just going to read you a little bit of uh, <laughs> um, who the, uh, when he talks about his family. Um, let's see. Just mentions the, um, let's take a look in terms of his brother. It's a four-volume history of the Briskarov. That's the younger brother. Uh, uh, there has not yet been uh, a real definitive history of of, of Rav Moshe. There's been a number of articles in the Chakira. The last couple. I don't know if you, if you read Chakira. It's available online. You don't have to. You don't have to pay for it. Um, and they've done uh, over the last couple of months some very major monographs on Rav Moshe's salvation. So. Um, it's a, it's, 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 he was someone who was very unusual and considered actually by those that were aware, the, uh, 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 Rav Moshe calls him Agoin Hatzadik. Um, and I have that, I can, I can read that to you in a second. But, um, so I think there's, you know, there's, there's, there's been too little, you know, people, oh, here we go. This is, uh, Rav Moshe. Um, in <laughs> okay, it, it says he was the Rav in Chaslovich until 1922. I said 1920. Some say 1922 um, because the Soviet. Um, listen to the words in this uh, history book in Hebrew. 
Okar Oz Levarsha. He then went to Warsaw. Shom Kihen Kiram. There he was a Rosh Masifta. Ba'achas HaYeshivos. In one of the Yeshivos there. B'Meshech Sheishon for six years. Um, no, no name. We don't want to tell you what the yeshiva was, and right, that's all it says. There was one. There was one yeshiva. So again, obviously, they aren't proud of the fact that the Brusmarov's brother was like was was uh, was part of this this yeshiva, even though later he went to YU. For some reason, that has been that has been taken out of the, of the history book, so to speak. Um, anyway, so here is his ten year old. Let's get to the story. So let's get the ten year old son. Uh, writes a letter to his older brother. Here it is. He says, the Rambam says in Perakin of Hilchos Melochim that a goy who, a non-Jew, who beats, who hits a Jew, um, even though the amount is, you know, uh, it's clearly he draws blood, he hits them, he draws blood, and there's a certain amount of pain and suffering. He says, he's, he's high of Misa. That non-Jew is has a shame chi of Misa, but he's not killed. Okay. Now, Rav Aaron writes, the of Misa. This that we know is chai of Misa, it's based on the Gemara. In other words, he start with the Rambam. He doesn't start with the Gemara. He starts with the Rambam. Then he says, this Yechai of Misa is based on a Gemara in Sanhedrin from a Pasuk by Moshe Rabbeinu, by Yifen Kovako, by Yarki Yenish, by Yaches HaMitzri, by Yitzmeneu Bachol. The Gemara quotes most of that Pasuk. So you see from that Pusik that, what? You see that Moshe kills him, right? Yeah. Moshe kills someone for hitting a Jew. Um, and he says the Rambam is also, he says in, in, the, in the second place in the Rambam, in Chayavu Mazik. And he quotes where the Rambam is, the 10-year-old Ravaran. Um, and the Rambam there quotes the Pusik too. But the interesting thing is, is that the Rambam says that he's Chayiv Misa, but he's not killed. Where did that come from? Now, the Gemara says you're Chayiv Misa. If a non-Jew hits a Jew, that there's a Chayiv Misa. But the Rambam says, Chayiv Misa, but he's not really killed. There's a Chayiv out there. Think, listen to what I'm saying. There's a Chayiv out there, but it's not actually, uh, it's actually not uh, facilitated. The execution doesn't happen. Right? That's right. He's Ischayev he's Misa, but he's not. Well, he is, he's Chayiv, but he's not killed. So Rav Aaron asks, the Pusik is from Moshe, right? And Moshe killed him, right? Oh, <laughs> Moshe Since Moshe, so Moshe killed him, so he killed him. And how do you know he killed him? Because obviously he killed him, because that's, he buries him. <laughs> and later, if you remember, Dostan and Aviram say, right? So if that's the source, you should also see that that you kill the person again. So clearly, there's there's a lot of even before we get the Rav Aaron's answer, that Aaron's answer, as he's called, the ten year old Aaron's answer to this question, it obviously brings up something which is: Can we learn from before the Torah? Right? Can Moshe like clearly were they really Yisrael versus Bnei Noach? Weren't they all Bnei Noach at that time? Right? And this, the Torah had been given yet. I mean, they were definitely a persecuted minority that eventually gets the Torah. Many years later, right? Um, Moshe's only a little boy then, right? They're not going to get the Torah for you know fifty-seven years or something, right? So, um, and yet, this is a pasuk that the Gemara and learns out that that that, that you're that, that you're chayiv misa from. So, Rav Aaron came up with an answer. 
he says, if you look at Rashi and Chumash, Rashi says that Moshe kills him based on, remember what Nodav, remember what Dawson says, or Aviram says, Harigeni Atta Omer. Are, are you saying, Harigeni, you want to kill me, you're saying? What is that saying, right? Atta Omer sounds like Chazal that you killed with speech, that you killed with the shame of right? And Rav Aaron says, I and Ramban, look in the Ramban there, <laughs> that you see that this is in the Medrash itself. So, therefore, Rav Aaron says, it wasn't like he was killed by an official, like, it, no, there's Moshe could say, I represent as a little, as a 13-year-old, however old he was, I don't know how old he was at the time, but let's say he was a young teenager, or whatever. Moshe could represent, like any good Jew, the, the power of the people, but he didn't actually kill him physically. In other words, what it was, it was, he, he, he caused his death to happen, but it's more a grama of Ritzicha, right? It's a grama of Ritzicha. It causes the death to happen. He says, Erotzeach means you kill him amish. You kill him totally. If you cause someone to die by invoking the name of God, which somehow causes him to die, that's not called an act of Ritzicha. Now here, of course, Ravaran means what we call Ritzicha towards each other would be the way <coughs> the official body of the court would impose on the criminal. It's a grumma. So whatever they did was only a grumma. So therefore, he's not really killed. In other words, the, the other Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach, like, for example, Avram and Achai, or Dinim, like one of the main things which is going to come up in a couple of weeks, not having a true court system, right? So there, as you know, that is what the Rambam says was the reason why um, Shimon and Levi killed out the city of Shechem because the city of Shechem did not have a proper uh, judicial system, right? So they were chived and they were killed with the sword. They were killed like B'nai Noach. This is the Rambam source that Shimon, again, this is, again, it brings up this question about who were Shimon and Levi to do that, but Shimon and Levi acted, not as murderers, the Rambam says, but they acted uh, uh, meeting out the punishment that you give to to a to a, a, a Gentile society that isn't keeping the laws. And one of the and one of the laws is to have a, a judge a justice system that is that is that is proper, a justice system that people are punished for stealing and raping people. If there isn't such a justice system, then therefore everyone who's part of that system can be killed. The, everyone in the community that supports this system and doesn't raise their voices against <clears throat> it is supporting that system. And because of that, the Rambam says that you could actually, this is why Shimon Levi killed everybody in the city. Um, so that is, that was uh, meeting out uh, judicial punishment against the Ben Noach. And that's in the other Averis as well. The other Averis of, 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 of Gilead Arias, and, and, or if they had been involved in idolatry, However, here, here this right. So here, what was the sin? Here, the sin was hitting a Jew. So he says that therefore it was it was not a, a, a direct act. But he says, Benel Rav Aaron asks on himself. Says Aftagam. And again, is everybody appreciating this is a ten-year-old writing? Okay, is everybody appreciating that this is that this is a ten-year-old boy who's writing this? Okay, okay. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. We know that when it comes to causing someone to die through something else, right? Like the Rambam says, if you tie someone up and you know the lion is coming, right? So that's called a gram ritzich. If you know there are lions around and you tie the person up that the lion will definitely eat him, that's called a gram of ritzich. So the Rambam says that what is that even though if we know you did it, your chayev misa bidei shamayim, your chayev misa by the hands of heaven bidei shamayim. So and someone who does that. Um, so if that's true, so that would seem, and especially uh, he doesn't mention this, Rav Aaron, but when uh, but when it comes to a ben noach, a ben noach is considered a murderer even for tying up a person in the sun or in front of a lion or, or something like that. Um, what we call a grumma for a Jew, where a Jew can't be put to death by Bezdin, a Ben Noach can be put to death. So it would seem that if, if Moshe Rabbeinu uses a grumma, it's, 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 it should also be considered a direct <coughs> killing as far as a Ben Noach is concerned. And therefore, why does the Rambam say you're not killed? So here... Rav Aaron answers his question. He says, I am the Mishnah Lamelech, Perik Bey Shah. Look in the Mishnah Lamelech in the second Perik of, of Hilchas Ratzeach, the Perik before that. He's already actually quoted three Rambams already, three places. And the Mishnah Lamelech brings a Ritva. What does the Ritva say? The Ritva is based on the Gemara in Kedushan that talks about um, hiring someone to kill. Uh, the Gemara actually refers there to David Amelech himself. Uh, getting Uriah Chiti killed, yeah. right? We know how David Amelech basically got, uh, right? Got, that's right. So the question was, is 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 is, um, is there Shuyach with Baravera? The Gemara talks about there, um, and the Gemara has Shammai's opinion that David is considered a murderer. Okay, that's a different uh, discussion. But the Ritva says there that what about in general? If you hire somebody, uh, if if you hire somebody. Uh, to kill, that's called a grama. You pay for the person to, to kill you, for to kill the person you want di- dead, so you're considered the goreim of that person's death. So the Ritva wonders, why do you have to pay for it? Let's say you're just, you just convince them that you hate them. Let's say you just you, you tell them your sob story <coughs> and, and you tell the person how much that guy has done and, and, and go kill that guy, and the guy loves your story so much, he'll kill him for you, right? Why does why does why does it have to be money that is exchanged? Like why do, why do you have to be working for that guy to be considered the gorim of his death? That's what Gemara says. If you hire someone else, if you're so hire someone to kill somebody else, it's like David Amelech, who of course those people were working for him, were were his servants, and owed him their allegiance and whatever it was. So why is it the Ritvo says why why does it have to be with money? It, 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 why can't it be the if it's the force of your personality? How about if you just convince him, hey, kill this guy. I really don't like him. Yeah, I'll go kill that guy for you. Why isn't that considered? It's not out of love for you. It's just for money. Right. So it's the a lower. It's a lower. Uh, uh, right, so the right. So the question is, Andrew, why isn't that called a grum as well? When I get someone to kill someone for me, and the guy had no interest in killing him, but I got the person interested in killing that person. He got I, him to care about you. I got him to care about me, and I told him the story, and because of that, I got him to kill that guy. So why doesn't why isn't that considered also 
the type of thing where we <laughs> consider you a goyer and lamis and you're chayv misa b'day shamayim for doing that. Are you still asking him to kill the person? What? Are you asking him to have their shleya? Right, but in terms of bezdin killing, it was one thing, but the misa b'day shamayim is still there. Just like if you hire... Okay, but so what's the, when I pay him, why is it different then? So when I pay him to go kill the guy, because I've given money, and when I when I give him this speech, it's you show him power. So the Ritvos says it a little bit different. He says if it's if all it is is speech, then it's not the Nachai of Misimidei If all you did was use speech. Right. So, in other words, when I tie it or I go to the bank and I take out money, whatever. Yeah, guarantee it. But if I just use my words to get you sympathetic to my cause, it's still up to the other person to do it. Right. And therefore, but what mm-hmm. Salvechik Aaron wanted to take out from there, this is his brother caught him on this. But what the, what the ten year old wanted to say, you see that speech itself doesn't create grama. So speech itself doesn't make you a goyrim. So he says, so therefore he says, it turns out that when the Mitzri died through Moshe, Rabbeinu, through Moshe Rabbeinu's speech, it wasn't really a grama. That was Misebidei Shamayim. <laughs> In other words, it, that's where the Rambam knew that, you're, that, it, that, that he's not killed. That is called Misebidei Shamayim by what? By, God, by Moshe bringing Shamayim in. So even though Moshe's speech caused the Shamayim to sort of like to, to do the zap him and kill him, but speech, as the Ritva says, doesn't make you a grama. Right? So, one second, David. So that's why I'm just going to the next page. So that's why that's the source for the Rambam. He says, in fact, I start off with a question, but I think, he says, this is actually the source for the Rambam. He says, Adaraba. Let me see if I get this a little bit better. He says, this is the Makor of the Rambam. That what does it mean, Chayim Misibidei Shamayim, Velobidei Odom? He says, this, right, this comes from there. So he says that, um, um, he says that, if, if it be Chayim Misibidei Odom, um, he says if it would be the regular death of the, of, it should be like the sh- people of Shechem. They should be killed with a Sayyaf. The fact that Moshe used the Shema Mephorosh is a proof that it's only Misimidei Shamayim. So this is this question and his answer. Um, not bad for a 10 year old, right? Then he goes even further. He says maybe you want to say the reason why he killed him with the Shema Mephorosh because he was afraid of Paro because if he actually takes out a sword and kills him, then who knows, he's going to get in trouble. Well, if you're going to say that's what's going on, then Moshe's afraid of acting like like a Jew against, you know, in, in doing the power against the B'nai Noach, then he shouldn't have killed him at all, Rav Aaron says. He shouldn't have killed the Mitzri at all. And then he says, even beautifully, he says, mm-hmm. If you think about it, one of the reasons why we put people to death is for them to get a kapara. And what sort of kapar would he get if he is actually uh, k- killing him in a way that's not considered proper killing him? If he would get the death sentence, that would be a, 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 a resolution and a, a, an atonement. So therefore, he says, the fact that he... So he shouldn't have killed him at all. The fact that he kills him and he uses bidei shamayim, so that's the source of the Rambam. So I just want to point out that that um, 
what what his brother answers to him. His brother ends up really destroying the whole piece. His brother ends up really, he's 13, he ends up really dissecting it completely. We're not going to have, but I just want to show you the first paragraph here. He says, he says, Etmo be, he says, Rav Aaron Sholem. He says, Etmo ben Arbayim kibalti michtavecha sagur. I got your letter, it was closed in the envelope. Poshet leimantim, right? I couldn't believe what I saw. Ze are lahakoton. You used to be just my little brother, this, this little kid. Nasu legodol. Up until now, he used to send me questions. Those were good questions. You're not just a questioner. You have a question and an approach. Here you are saying your own pshat. You're writing a whole piece here. So he says, you know, last year, Pesach time, well, I guess the last time they were writing letters, whatever, you were so distant from this Madrega. I never thought that in this year I'm going to get such nice Chidushe Torah from you that you can actually go be Matayo in the Pardas of Torah and Alocha to go into the, to the Rambams and to be Machadish, very nice points. He says, I, my davening is for you is that you should only go continue with Simchos Kolon, we'll all be so happy with the levels that you're going to reach. I just thought this was so beautiful in terms of the the, the way the brothers were, were were dealing with each other, even in here, and of course continue throughout their lives. Again, we're not going to have time. Maybe the different year, maybe next week, if you're interested about the Sheva Mitzvah, it's actually going to be in two weeks. We'll talk about it more. But this sort of shows you the great love and and, and respect that really began at such such at an early age. It's an encouragement. And uh, it really shows you where Aaron was as well. So he should be a big school for us. And Mitzvah Hashem, we should only hear Surah and Yeshua's. Love and, and, and respect really began at such, such at an early age. It's an encouragement.